When we think about seeing a first responder, oftentimes they're using a push-to-talk radio, right? So really with this broadband network, it's not a replacement necessarily of that. It's an, an addition and an augmentation of that. Is that correct, Jeff? Yes, yeah, Dan, I'm glad you said that. We are very careful to state the law does not say we are to replace land mobile radio networks because those are funded entirely separately. And it really depends on where you're at. Welcome to the 5G Guys podcast, the premier resource for industry insiders and newcomers alike to explore anything and everything wireless telecommunication. We discuss, explain, and explore all things wireless technology. So let's dive right in. Welcome your host, Dan McVaugh and Wayne Smith. Hey, real quick, a quick word of thanks to today's sponsor, Vertex Innovations, before we get started. For over 17 years, Vertex has been building the nation's wireless and broadband networks. Providing project management, network engineering, and construction oversight are just some of the ways Vertex helps their clients. So if you're looking for more of a partner to help you with your wireless network designs, construction, implementation, or operations, reach out to Vertex. You can find them at vertex-us.com. That's V-E-R-T-E-X-U-S.com. Welcome back to another episode of the 5G Guys. I'm Wayne Smith and joined by my co-host, Dan McBall. Hey, Wayne. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to another episode. Uh, pleased today to have our guest, uh, Jeff Bratcher uh, with FirstNet. Uh, you might wonder what FirstNet even is, and we'll get into that with Jeff here in a second. But uh, to introduce Jeff, he is the Chief Network and Technology Officer of the FirstNet Authority. Uh, he led the formation of the first network authority technology teams, as well as the state-of-the-art innovation and technology lab located at the FirstNet Authority office right in our backyard here in Boulder, Colorado. Jeff was also appointed to lead the network team overseeing the implementation of the nationwide FirstNet broadband network that they built with AT&T. Prior to FirstNet, he began his federal service in 2003 with the National Telecommunications and Information Administration. And prior to that, he worked for 10 years within the wireless private sector, deploying several first digital cellular systems in the U.S. and internationally. So we're excited to have him. Jeff, thanks for being here. Why don't you kick things off by explaining to our audience what FirstNet even is and why, why it exists? Sure thing. Thank you, Dan. And thank you, Wayne, for inviting me to talk to you today. So FirstNet was created in legislation in 2012. It was passed February 22nd, 2012, and it did two things. It created the FirstNet Authority, of which I'm a member, and as you mentioned, Chief Network and Technology Officer based here in Boulder. We also have a headquarters in Reston, Virginia, with some of our other staff and our CEO. The law also assigned a, a swath of spectrum, the 700 megahertz spectrum, that public safety had been using for some land mobile radio development and networks. And it gave us $7 billion in auction proceeds. So that's what really generated uh, the beginning of the first net authority, that legislation being passed. Now that legislation was the culmination of years of effort within the public safety community across fire, EMS, and law enforcement to fulfill one of the last remaining recommendations from the 9-11 commission. So there was a, uh, in 2004, that 9-11 commission report uh, identified a recommendation for dedicated spectrum and a dedicated network for first responders based in part to the failures and the, the inability to communicate on the congested cellular networks during the 9-11 event. So fast forward 
lots of lobbying and public safety rallying together across all the disciplines to lobby Congress and get dedicated funding and ultimately this legislation that created the authority that did a couple of things to structure this program. First off, they assigned it within the Department of Commerce and the National Telecommunications and Information Administration, but it was really structured as an independent authority. And what that means is we actually are governed by a 15-member board. And three of the seats on those on that board are permanent seats from the Department of Justice, the Department of Homeland Security, and the Office of Management and Budget. The other remaining 12 seats are filled by industry veterans or public safety veterans, and that is filled through the Department of Commerce and the NTIA. And it structured us in a way to give us the assets in the legislation, the 20 megahertz of spectrum. So we had 10 megahertz downlink, 10 megahertz uplink, as well as the $7 billion in auction proceeds, spectrum auction proceeds. So when the law was passed, they didn't yet have money because the auctions had not happened. So they gave a loan, for lack of a better word, of $2 billion from the treasury to get the authority up and operational and start making plans to go out for a contract for this nationwide network. So yeah, so that's a great intro, and 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 I'm glad you tied in uh, 9/11 because that that really was a major impetus as to why. And, and for those that maybe uh, not old enough to remember or, or don't remember when when 9/11 happened, basically first responders that were using cellular service as part of their way of communicating were unable to communicate because the entire cellular network in New York City was at its knees. With that, with that tragedies, so definitely that was a, a major impetus from from my recollection as well. So, explain really what is the FirstNet network to to the layman? What what's important about it? What's different about it from what most people might think about in terms of how they see our police or firefighters or other first responders communicating? Sure thing. So, as part of that process and standing up the organization, there were some directions within the law that required us to consult with all 56 states and territories on how this network should be developed and built. So we took that very seriously. As we're waiting for those auction proceeds to come in, we use that loan to get up and running and develop a roadmap and how we're going to get to a request for proposal for this nationwide network. The law assigned the duties for the FirstNet Authority to build, operate, maintain a nationwide public safety broadband network with some key features, priority and preemption and quality of service for that first responder traffic. And you have to be eligible to be on the network. You have to be a law enforcement, fire, EMS, emergency manager. You have to be a true you know, first responder in that vernacular to be eligible to use the FirstNet network. So we spent about five years talking to the states waiting for the funding to arrive. We did 13 different requests for information out to industry, out to public safety uh, to guide us on how we should approach this network. And it was based on the LTE technology at the time, 2012 through 2017 timeframe. It was kind of that mid-cycle of 4G as it was really ramping up. So we knew based on public safety feedback, we wanted an LTE network, but the law also required us to wear to maximize the extent possible that infrastructure that was already in place. So if you think about the numbers, we only had $7 billion. GAO or OMB, I can't remember which agency, scored that this is a 47 to $50 billion project to build Greenfield for all 56 states and territories. 
So we knew we had our two assets with the six and a half billion that we went to RFP with, as well as that 20 megahertz nationwide license of the band 14 spectrum. Another key tenant of the law is assigning that band 14 spectrum to the FirstNet authority with that license. Some steps were done leading up to the law with the FCC and trying to have a, a public-private partnership with the D-Block. You'll hear that D-Block term every now and then. That's what public safety, that ultimately failed in an auction. I, I can't remember which auction it was and did not attract a bidder based on the requirement public safety had. So that's where the law said, all right, we're giving you the spectrum. Here's your assets. Go attract a partner that can build this and operate it and make it self-sustaining uh, with no other funds from Congress. So we do not get appropriated funds. So that is critical to the business model and what we ultimately went to RFP with. In March of 2017, we awarded this 25-year contract to AT&T. Uh, after the evaluation, they had the, the best proposal and they were awarded to build and operate this for the 25 years starting in 2017. We began adding devices and subscribers. We use the term connections actually on the first net authority and working with AT&T uh, on how we count connections. And as of March of 2023 now, we're upwards of 4.4 million connections on that network. And Dan, to your point, the key tenets of it are that priority and preemption capability, public safety, first net users, have access to the channel when they need it. And if they don't, if, if there's congestion, it will move the commercial traffic off and allow those first responders on the spectrum to use the network. The key tenet of AT&T's proposal, they didn't just put that on the band 14 spectrum. They, as part of their proposal, made it available across all of their LTE bands on their commercial network as well. And that really led to two key things. Number one, time to market was much faster. We did not have to wait till the band 14 build out was done. So that's how we were able to start adding commercial, I'm sorry, devices and connections in January of, of 18. And we've seen steady growth since then. The other thing is this is a competitive market. There's no mandate that anyone has to use or adopt first. So it did keep the com competition within the, the framework of the legislation. And we have to earn the first net and the first responder users on the first net network. Wow, Mister, come a long ways, huh? And so, four point four million users or, or connections. How does that really like translate to across the country and municipalities? You know, so you have agencies from each state, probably by now. Yeah, great question, Wayne. So we have. I don't have the recent number with me. Over, I want to say. 24, 25,000 different agencies that have adopted it. And it's all 56 states and territories to answer your first part of that question. We have users across all 56 states and territories, strong growth. We also built in a unique aspect to where a lot of firefighters, for example, are volunteer firefighters and their communication devices are not paid for by their agencies. So we have what's called a subscriber paid option, where if you're a volunteer firefighter, volunteer EMS, or not assigned to an agency that provides you devices, but you have that first responder mission, you can walk into an AT&T store today and you'll see a FirstNet kiosk and you can go over and actually get service on the FirstNet network. Uh, there is a validation mechanism and verification that comes into play to ensure you are a true you know, first responder or 
a support responder in, in our extended primary vernacular, people that assist first responders are eligible to be on the network as well. So that is built into the, it as well. So we wanted to, and that was really based on a lot of the consultation and feedback with public safety. Uh, they wanted an option to be able to self buy their own service if possible and, and not have to worry about an agency or, or agencies that can't afford it for their users. I think this this is uh, not to gloss over the importance of something you touched on, which is the way that AT&T put their solution together with hand-in-hand, walking hand-in-hand with, with, with your team, the ability to maximize the efficient use of the combined spectrum that they held privately and that you held as part of the authority in a way that, you know, if... Another approach could have been to say, you know, keep all of the commercial traffic on their their spectrum, all the public safety traffic on the first net authority spectrum, but that would have left a 20 megahertz chunk of spectrum that was very underutilized in many cases, right? Because when you look at the number of, you've got a, a ton of connections with four and a half million, but that's just a, that's just scratching the surface of the total number of connections that we see in a commercial network today in terms of users per, per megahertz of spectrum, right? That's a great point, Dan. And part of that business model is AT&T has the exclusive, what we call a capacity lease agreement to all of that band 14 spectrum to not only build the FirstNet network, they can also use it in their commercial aspect as well. To your point, there's over 100 million, you know, commercial subscribers on the AT&T network. Spectrum's the lifeblood of any commercial carrier. So this was a great win-win opportunity to back up a little bit. So prior to the legislation getting finalized and signed, I was actually involved in my previous role. I was a division chief at the Institute for Telecom Sciences here in Boulder under NTIA. And we were working closely at the time with Anna Gomez, who was the uh, acting assistant administrator for NTIA, uh, as well as a few others that were really driving this this concept of a dedicated nationwide public safety broadband network. We actually hosted meetings at the Department of Commerce with all of the wireless carriers, the big ones in the U.S., as well as some of the smaller regional carriers. And all of them stood up in that meeting with public safety and said, look, we're not going to be able to ever give you priority and preemption on our commercial network. We just don't feel we can we can justify that with our board uh, and our business models. So that's what really for lack of a better word, steeled public safety to go to the Hill, lobby, get this legislation passed to ensure we could make this happen on their spectrum at a minimum. Uh, and as I mentioned to AT&T's credit, they looked at it and said, you know what, we're going to take it to our board. And I believe it was Randall Stevenson took it to the board of AT&T at the time and said, this is the right thing to do for our nation's first responders. We're going to do it on all our spectrum bands so we can get this network going as soon as possible. It was a great win-win. And to your point, Dan, we're seeing great growth. That user base of public safety and connections is, yes, much smaller than a commercial user base on a wireless uh, commercial tier one carriers network. Yeah, I, I have a question. I think it brings some clarity. Let's talk a little bit about what do the agencies do when they don't use a first net? Are they just using different, maintaining their own technology and their own radios and or... You know, what do they do when they don't have it that calls the problem? Yeah, good question, Wayne. So we've seen the other entrants, you know, Horizon, T-Mobile, offer similar type services now. And one thing being on the on the FirstNet Authority side, 
we validate and verify everything AT&T has built into the FirstNet network. That's really a key tenant of my office within the FirstNet Authority is holding AT&T accountable uh, on, the, on the contract and what they're delivering to public safety. I can't give you specifics on what anyone else is doing because we don't have that role or oversight onto what they're actually offering to public safety. So I know the AT&T FirstNet team spend a lot of time out in the agencies. We also have a dedicated office of about 50 staff that are spread all across the country. Tracy was one of them that you met earlier today that do nothing but work with public safety to understand and explain the FirstNet network, as well as we drive in their needs and requirements into future upgrades of the network. So as part of this business model, AT&T is going to pay back into the FirstNet Authority $18 billion over the 25-year lifespan of the contract. And these are public numbers that have been reported upon, but the law was very clear. All the fees coming back go right back into the network to reinvest and keep the network upgrade, upgraded to current technology. That was another key aspect of the legislation that we and our board take very seriously and are starting that path now. I think... Um... And maybe, Wayne, I don't know if part of what you're asking was as it relates to, you know. Some of those are funded at the city level. Some are regional. Some are statewide. Here in our home state of Colorado, there's a statewide land mobile radio network. We are very careful to stay. We're not here to replace those networks. But what public safety told us in our consultation, we want the similar functionality in broadband as to what our land mobile radio networks do. So to your point, Dan, we do have the mission critical push to talk based on the 3GPP standards as a service offering on the FirstNet network. And uh, we spend a lot of time and the AT&T FirstNet team spends time integrating different land mobile radio systems into broadband, the FirstNet network, so that you can communicate across the different technologies. Um, cellular network design versus land mobile radio network design is apples and oranges. You've got high site, high power LMR networks versus a cellular approach, which is always trying to reduce power from your devices and the cell sites to maintain that battery life. So we did a lot of explanation and training, honestly, with public safety. These aren't the same type networks, but we're trying to bring the best of LMR into the broadband network, as well as all the other capabilities that that broadband brings them with situational awareness and other advanced capabilities on a broadband network. That was great, Dan. That's what I was trying to get to, that piece of it. So good, good picking up for me on that. It's, it's really pretty amazing in the short amount of time through the public-private partnership, what you guys have been able to do. Just for someone who spent last 20 years building infrastructure and how long it takes to get there, it, it's pretty impressive accomplishment. Yeah, thank you, Wayne. We get asked questions all the time about how did you actually make this work? I think there'll be quite a few studies in, you know, policy and administration graduate courses on how this was done. It was truly solving a public need and really safety issue and bringing something for our first responders, leveraging that scale and infrastructure scope that's already been out there. I think at and coming up on over 150 years in existence and all the stuff they've done in that time frame. Uh, like yourself, I spent my 10 years in the private sector building uh, domestic cellular networks as well as uh, in the international markets. And uh, we've been very pleased with the progress. We're not done. We're continuing to evolve the network. We've started some of the initial 5G upgrade as well with some investments that our board authorized uh, two summers ago. 
and as well as another unique aspect of the network with our dedicated deployables fleet. So we have 72 satellite-based cells on light trucks, sat colts for short, that are available and actually responded here during the Marshall Fire uh, here locally in the state. And those are at no cost to the first responders on FirstNet. They can call a number, say they have an outage or a, or a network event has happened, something's been taken out, and they will, AT&T provides those SAT cults. Now, we paid for those as part of our contract award with AT&T. So if not free, free, we was built into the, the contract that we have with AT&T, but it's a free benefit to the end users. And they spend a lot of time working those and planned events and unplanned events, obviously, like wildfires, et cetera, to bring those out and bring that network with them. That was a key tenant from public safety. We're not going to have the network everywhere, but we got to be able to bring it with us, especially in these wildfires, disaster zones, hurricanes, where things get wiped out. I think another big benefit that I see that was a huge accomplishment with FirstNet was to create a nationwide network that was fully interoperable across every agency that was on it. Because before FirstNet, to your point, you had all these land mobile radio networks that maybe even city to city or agency to agency, they could not intercommunicate in the event of a disaster or an emergency. Whereas now with FirstNet, you have full interoperability, not across just the lower 48, but every state in the union that's on it, right? Yeah, that's a great point, Dan. Yes, a, a firefighter in California on FirstNet, they fly to the East Coast to support something happening there. When they land, they're, they're on FirstNet just like they were at home. And it's also integrated as, as uh, a carrier. It, it is, for lack of a better word, its own carrier. We have our own public land mobile network identifier that's recognized for roaming and other capabilities as well outside of the CONUS and outside of the OCONUS. In, in other, but that is the key tenet and what was the driving force in creating this nationwide uh, network dedicated for public safety and their broadband capabilities. You can also, you're not just stuck on the FirstNet network. You can text, phone call, send messages all to other carrier networks as well. We have a strong rural partnership that AT&T put in place for our rural milestones that the legislation outlined. And they actually partnered with several different small rural carriers to bring that band 14 spectrum and that quality of service priority and preemption capability to the rural areas as well on the FirstNet network. We have tribal, tribal lands that are now covered by FirstNet and operational. And not only is that some of the first cellular they've got for their first responders, there's also the added benefit of the commercial impact since that spectrum can be used commercially as well. That's good. That's good to understand. So tell tell us a little bit more about, so it's it funny, I was watching a, a TV the other day and I saw a, a meta commercial that just came out with, uh, you know, the Facebook meta device, the virtual reality device. And part of that commercial, they, sh they showed basically a simulation of something that I got the honor to to learn about in your, your research labs, oh gosh, that was probably in 2018, 2019, of this concept of a firefighter having a heads-up display with augmented reality to be able to see things like floor plans or maybe a, a human body that was you know unable to be seen because of the smoke of the fire or what have you. So that's, that's an example of some of the innovation you guys are working on, right? Tell us about some of the other 
technical advancements that has has kind of been born out of this this partnership with AT&T. Sure thing, Dan. We'll have to have you up to the lab soon. So we more recently have partnered with NIST, the National Institute of Standards and Technology, in their Public Safety Communications Research Program, PSCR. Uh, as part of that legislation I mentioned, they were awarded $300 million in the legislation for advanced research and development related to public safety communications. And as part of the, the research they did in developing some key aspects towards augmented reality, virtual reality for that situational awareness. And just last year, we announced, and you can look up this Public Safety Immersive Test Center, PSITC. Uh, there's a couple of press releases we put out. We had some warehouse space in the Boulder FirstNet Authority uh, office that was sitting unused that is perfect for some of this advanced research and development that NIST and PSER are now in that space, leveraging public safety interactions to develop these enhanced situational awareness profiles and leveraging augmented reality and virtual reality. If you visit our warehouse, you'll see the actual uh, makeup of an apartment. And in the virtual world, and we've done several demos now, and there, there's YouTube videos on our channel that you can look at as well, that shows how you can training aspects and other capabilities to bring into that virtual war world. And when you're in it, you can actually feel and touch the objects you're seeing virtually. So there's couches, there's, there's cabinetry, there's different rooms with walls that you can actually have the sense and touch of as you're in the virtual world. And you think about the benefits for, uh, I mentioned training, situational awareness, uh, and some of the other capabilities that that will bring to the public safety community. There's also a big aspect related to augmented reality. Picture, you know, using the, the augmented reality goggles and seeing the entire fire ground in that space and being able to see the fires or your assets or your responders where they're at in that augmented reality and help direct that as part of the incident response. So there's several types of those advanced research capabilities going on. Uh, as I mentioned, in partnership with NIST and the PSCR program. And I think I've understood there's some other cool advances that you guys have uh, either been working on or, or recently launched around things like uh, we've talked about in past episodes where there's an enhanced 911 uh, capability that all mobile phones must have where when you, you dial 911, there's location services so that it knows where you're you're located by GPS coordinates. You guys have added some other features on things like uh, Z location, right? So if you're in a, a tall building, it doesn't just tell you the location of the building, but what floor you might be on as somebody calling in or a first responder. That That's an, another example. Are there other other examples of things like that that you've come out with recently or that are in the works? Sure thing. So, I'll, and I'll touch on that one for a minute because it is a very important one that was one of the key driving factors as well that public safety wanted in this network is that 3D geolocation capability. And it wasn't so much to find the callers, but it was to find their people. So there's been numerous instances of firefighters actually dying because they could not find them in a multi-story building to rescue them. So that's a key act, a key development and capability that we've built into the FirstNet network. And the the application and the service is called Intrepid for FirstNet within the FirstNet network. Uh, and that brings that Z-access capability for multi-story buildings. It was not set up to solve the wireless 911 callers, but we know the FCC is pushing that as part of their enhanced 911 capability. 
that was a key aspect in differentiating service that we we drove into the network early on. Uh, I mentioned the quality of service, that priority and preemption capability, the mission critical push to talk, as well as the mission critical suite of standards within third generation partnership project that I mentioned earlier. We have a dedicated team of five standards engineers that have decades of experience in all the different carriers in the United States in working and creating standards. One of the key things that the legislation required is that the FirstNet authority represent those public safety key features and needs within these worldwide standard development organizations. And we've been tremendously successful within 3GPP and actually created uh, a new architecture group. It's called SA6 that focuses on these mission critical services, not just for the U.S., but this is a worldwide need. And we're, we've now interacted with over 40 different countries that are looking to do their own versions of FirstNet uh, and meet this need for their first responders as well. Wow. You guys have been busy. And, and it's really exciting, that, you know, that it comes from a tragedy that people came together and they came up with an idea and then the idea was put into action. And now you have so many agencies involved. Yeah, and Wayne, we're quick to say this isn't the network. You know, I've got some great engineers on staff. It's not something we just thought up. This was really driven by those public safety needs. And, and most of our job is translating those, hey, I need this into requirements, into the contract, and then delivering a service to the first responders to, to make their jobs easier and save lives. I mean, at the end of the day, that, that's, that's our mission is to make that easier for them. Uh, and it's a great mission to have. And there's two components of FirstNet I can describe. There's FirstNet.gov. So that is the authority side. That's where I work. There's about 200 federal staff that do nothing but work this uh, every day. Uh, and that's, you know, the validation, verification, program management, you know, all the things that have to happen to execute this contract. Then there's FirstNet.com. You can go to that. That is the service portal and website that AT&T owns and operates as part of this contract. AT&T, as I mentioned, has the 25-year build, operate, maintain, and then we're reinvesting and in, in enhancing based on public safety's needs and furthering those capabilities uh, for the broadband network. And that's, uh, let's see, you said you said uh, the contract with AT&T, the award was, was uh, what year? It was March of 2017, so it runs through March of 2042. And the original envisionment of this network was a 4G LTE network like you talked about. Tell us what's in the works with AT&T with regard to 5G and beyond. Sure thing. Great question, Dan. So uh, as we got the LTE part of this underway, we're, we're very happy with the RAN build out, adding that band 14 either on new towers. And we've actually built over a thousand new cell sites as well as part of this project, as well as adding band 14 to a large aspect of the footprint of the AT&T network. The next phase, as everyone's doing now, which we anticipated would be a little later in the 2020s, uh, but came faster. 5G kind of slid to the left with the worldwide push to move to 5G. We started some initial investments. Two summers ago, we, uh, in leading up, I should say, it was about a two-year effort leading up to the summer of uh, 21, I believe, where we are now on the 5G 3X core option. So we have upgraded in, let me pause for a second. 
we have a dedicated core network as part of the FirstNet architecture. So we have a dedicated core network. All the traffic for the FirstNet users goes through that core. And that runs in parallel to the AT&T commercial core network. So in 3GPP, this is called the Mokin architecture, multi-operator core network. But it's really AT&T operating their commercial core. And then we have our FirstNet core that it, they operate. And it's doing RAN sharing at the cell site. So that's how you can identify different traffic and treat it different for the different core networks. Two summers ago, we took initial steps to upgrade our core to similarly to what the industry was doing with this 3X option. And what that allows our FirstNet users to do is in markets where 5G is available, they can take full advantage of those 5G lanes of traffic as well as their core LTE services that are still running on the LTE side of that. We're working now on the full 5G standalone implementation. Uh, there'll be more announcements related to that in the next next uh, short time frame. I'll leave it that way. Gotcha. Well, this has been awesome, uh, Jeff. We really appreciate it. I mean, I think it's a great uh, topic to, I don't know that a lot of uh, the general public and a lot of our listeners uh, maybe even know what FirstNet is or, or really fully understand how that really public-private partnership that, you know, the first and authority and, and AT&T is, have been leading the way is, is really shown, I think, everyone in the world, like how public-private partnerships can really make the best of both worlds come together. And I think, you know, we've had some other guests from other organizations like departments of transportation and stuff that are just barely starting to scratch the surface. And I think you guys are really leading the way to show that, uh, that when done right, it can really have huge benefits to all involved. So it's, uh, it's, it's very impressive, and we really appreciate you giving us the time to, to explain it all. Sure thing, Dan and Wayne. I appreciate, you know, I, I, as you can tell, I'm passionate about it. I've been doing it almost 10 years now and uh, really enjoy the mission. And there's a lot of effort by a lot of people out there that help make this happen. Most importantly, the public safety leaders that really came together and said, all right, we, we need this. We're going to go to the go to the hill. And they did it numerous times getting this to get this legislation in place. And it took a lot of uh, blood, sweat, and tears by a lot of folks to get us where we are. But we're also uh, not going to sit on our laurels. We're, we're also moving ahead in, in more innovation and what we can do to make their lives easier, saving lives. That's really our, our main mission. We want public safety to not have to worry about communication. It's going to be there when they need it, and they can focus on doing their real jobs. Yeah. And it's, it's an amazing story, a story that should be told more often about how the government and the private came together to solve this, because this etch, and I, to Dan's point, I don't think very many people know that this is a result of the collaboration of the agencies coming together to make something happen. And to your point, to save lives, so hats off. Well, thanks, Jeff. We appreciate you coming on, and uh, we'll, we'll maintain you know contact and touch base as, uh, as things progress. Maybe we'll have you on again uh, somewhere down the road. Sounds great. I really enjoyed it. Thank you both. All right. Take care. Thanks for listening to the 5G Guys. For more resources and to connect with Dan and Wayne, check out their website at 5gguys.com. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to hit that follow button and share this episode with your friends and family. 